city. And a crowd gathers as he's resuming his teaching and his preaching. He's talking to people about the kingdom of heaven. And a paralytic is brought to him. Matthew doesn't give us as much of the details here as Mark does. If you're familiar with the story in Mark, you know that this is that, uh, that wonderful story where the, these men carry this paralytic on his bed to this house where Jesus is teaching. They can't get in. It's too jam-packed, standing room only. So they, uh, they're not, not to be uh, dissuaded. They climb up on the roof, move some of the roof tiles out of the way, lower this paralytic right down in front of Jesus. Um, that's one way, right? That, that, that's one way for them to get in. And Jesus sees this, and, and, and as Matthew tells us here, he sees this paralyzed man that they've brought to him, this man who can't walk, and he sees their faith, the faith of those men bringing him to Jesus and the faith of this paralyzed man himself. And Matthew points out, he recognizes that these men have faith. Now, there is a dangerous mistake we can make here. We can look at how Jesus sees their faith and then res- say, well, he's, he's responding to their faith because it's such good faith. Right? They have this strong faith in Jesus. They couldn't be stopped. They cut the hole in the roof, lowered the guy down. See how, see how amazing the faith of these men is. And we can say that this, that's what the account is about. The faith of these people bringing uh, this man to Jesus. But what is faith? Is faith something to marvel at and say, wow, how strong their faith is? Faith, right? It's receiving Christ. It's resting on Christ, to use the language of our catechism. Uh, And and that's what we see here in the passage. It's not that these... um, uh, It's not that Jesus is marveling at their faith as though it's some great thing that's earning His favor. But he, he, He sees that their faith is this. Their faith is a... Knowledge that only Jesus can save them, right? It's this, it's this conviction that these men have that only Jesus Christ, only Him, only He can, can save them, right? It's, it's, it's pictured for us in the paralytic. He's a wonderful picture of faith. It's helpless. Faith is helpless. Lying there, saying, Lord, save me. I need you. Only you can save me. Right? That, that's what faith is. It's faith that says, Lord... I cannot save myself. Only you can save me. And yes, not being dissuaded in that. Coming to Him over and over and over. Lord, I cannot save myself. You save me. I need you. You're the only one. Right? This, this neediness for Jesus is what characterizes their faith. Does that characterize your faith? Lord, I need you. No one else can save. No one else can help. Only you can save me. And I'm going to rest in you and receive you as the only one who can. That's the faith that Jesus sees in these men. He sees this faith in himself. And he says very tender words here to this paralyzed man. He says to him, Son, be of good cheer. Right? You could translate it, take heart, child. Take heart, child. Speaking to this grown man. A bit of a strange way to address a grown man as a child. It's a very intimate way to speak. It's a very informal way to speak. Jesus is, is highlighting this man's weakness and neediness and also highlighting how compassionately he feels towards him. Take heart, child. 
And then he says something that's, that's even more surprising. And there's, there's two things that are really surprising about his next words to the paralytic laying there on the floor in front of him. The first thing that he says, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the first reason it's surprising is because I don't know if that is exactly what the paralytic came for. I don't know, you might say, right, if that's what he ordered. Jesus, that's not what I came here for. Look at me, I'm paralyzed, I can't walk. My sins are forgiven. That, I, don't, I don't know that if that's what the paralyzed man was expecting Jesus to say to him first. I'm sure he knew he needed his sins forgiven. Jesus is, sees his faith. But I don't know if that's what he expected Jesus to say. I'm not sure that's what the crowds around Jesus expected him to say. This is different from the other miracles, right? And the other miracles, they, they come. Jesus sees their faith, uh, uh, perhaps. And um, they say, Lord, heal, heal my servant. And he, he does it. But here, it's striking, right? He says something different. Jesus doesn't say to him first, get up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus is looking at him and saying, there's a more important need here. There's something deeper here. There's a bigger problem that you have than the fact that you can't walk and you can't work and you're probably a beggar dependent on your parents or or someone else's uh, compassion for you. You have a bigger need than that. Right? It's not that you can't stand on your feet. It's that you can't stand before God because you are a sinner. Jesus' words here remind us, brothers and sisters, of what need we have which is biggest, right? It it, it redirects us, refocuses us on what our biggest need is. It's not that Jesus is being insensitive to this man. He's not insensitive to this guy's suffering. But he's saying, what you need most and first is not healing, not being able to get up and walk, but have your sins forgiven. To have God not count your sins against you. Remember, right? He's, Jesus has come to preach the kingdom of heaven is coming. And the kingdom of heaven means judgment is coming. So repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. He's reorienting us to what our primary need is. It's forgiveness. Because our our biggest problem is our sin and our guilt before God. Do you believe that? Your biggest problem is not physical, not a health issue, or not a loved one's health issue. Your, Your biggest need, your biggest problem is not any kind of mental issue or struggle. It's not a financial issue that might be facing you, or even a relational issue with another person. It's not your biggest need or your biggest problem. The biggest problem in your life is your sin and your guilt before God. That's what Jesus is telling us in this passage. You stand before God as a guilty criminal before a just judge, and the sentence which you should receive for that sin is death, condemnation, wrath of God. That is our biggest problem. And that is the first and foremost thing Christ came to deal with. Nothing less than that. This is why He came. To forgive us. That's the first surprising thing about what Jesus says. The second surprising aspect of what Jesus says is the way He says it. 
He doesn't say to the man, your sins have been forgiven. Right? Another, you know, someone might be able to say to someone else, your sins have been forgiven because you went to the sacrifice and uh, went to the temple and offered that sacrifice you were supposed to. Right, but what does Jesus say? He says, your sins are forgiven. In the Greek, he's using a, a present tense verb. He's saying, right now, because I say so, your sins are right now forgiven because I said it. So, it's stunning. You can imagine the whole crowd around Jesus hearing this and just gasping. Did he just say that? That's exactly what they'd start doing. And the scribes there around Jesus, these experts in the Jewish law, they start talking to each other. Who does this guy think he is? Speaking like that. Forgiving sins just at his word. This man, this Guy, this nobody from Nazareth acting as though he's God here. They accuse him of blasphemy because they know the scriptures. They know the text that we read earlier in Isaiah where God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. They know Psalm 51 verse 4 where David says to the Lord, against you, you only have I sinned. All right, David, you sinned against Bathsheba, committed adultery with her forcibly, perhaps. You sinned against those that you lied to. You sinned against your men by not being there at the battle when you should have been there leading them. You sinned against Uriah by, by, by having him murdered. David, you sinned against a ton of people. But you say, as Psalm 51.4, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned. The point of Psalm 51.4 is that sin, at the end of the day, ultimately, is always mostly against God. It's a debt that we owe to God. And the scribes' logic, as they think through these texts, is if a sin if, is a debt against God, only God can forgive the debt, Right? I can't come to you and say, you know that big loan you took out to pay for that car? I forgive you of that loan. Doesn't mean anything, right? No, it means something if the bank came to you and said that, right? Because they are the ones that you owe the debt to. Only the person to whom the debt is owed can forgive the debt. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven because I say so, right? the scribes say he's he's claiming that he's the one that we owe the debt of sin to he's god jesus sees them talking to each other he perceives what they're saying to each other and he calls them out for it he he says to them why do you think evil in your hearts see on one level the scribes have interpreted the text they're reading in the old testament right only god can forgive sins but what they're missing what they're shutting their eyes against and refusing to see is who is standing in front of them. It's God himself here in front of them. They're not just innocently misunderstanding Jesus. He calls them out for evil here. Right? He says, you are, you are shutting your eyes against who I am. You are refusing to accept who I am. Look, I've healed the sick. I've, I've, I've calmed the storm. I've cast out demons. Who else can do this but the one sent from God as the Messiah and the God-man? No one. So Jesus asked them a question to put them 
to the test. He says to them, uh, is it easier for someone to say your sins are forgiven or for someone to say to a paralytic, get up and walk? Uh, well, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Right there, you, you can say to someone, your sins are forgiven, and, and there's no outward demonstrable proof that their sins have been forgiven, right? It looks like the same person before and after you say your sins are forgiven. Um, so on one level, you'd say, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove it. So he's saying to them, but it's a lot harder to say to somebody who's paralyzed, get up and walk, and to have your words prove true or false. So he turns now to this paralytic. You can imagine what this paralyzed man is thinking as Jesus is having this back and, you know, he's talking with the scribes and he's laying there waiting. What's Jesus going to say to me? He's forgiven my sins. What else is he going to do? Jesus turns to this paralyzed man and he says, um, I say to you, rise, uh, take up your bed and go to your house. He, he, tells the fair, he tells the scribes here in verse 6 that he's, he's doing this to show them that he is the Son of Man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man, we saw this a, a bit ago in Matthew, the Son of Man is a term Jesus takes to himself, referring back to Daniel 7 to talk about how he is the one who is the one who will reign over Israel as king and over the whole world as king with all the glory of God and one who will have all the authority of God. And Jesus is claiming that here before these scribes. So he turns to the paralytic. He says, rise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately the guy gets up and he doesn't need physical therapy. His legs are healed and he can walk home easily and comfortably. It's a miracle. The crowd was stunned before when they heard Jesus' words. They're even more shocked now. No one has ever had power like this. Jesus just said, get up. And this man got up and went home. Right? Who is this? Who can say this? And, and it, it just demonstrates to them that Jesus could actually say what was the much harder thing to say, really, your sins are forgiven, and immediately this man's sins are forgiven. And verse 8 tells us the people are marveling at him. Uh, I think a better translation of the Greek would, would say that they're afraid of him. They are scared in the presence of one who has this kind of power and authority. They are in awe that, that here is the one standing in front of them who has the power to say, I forgive you or not. The one who holds their eternal destiny in his hand is standing in front of them. And they marvel. And the text tells us they worship God who sent this Son of Man with this kind of awesome authority that He can even forgive sins. Our response should be the same, shouldn't it? This is, I think this response is given to here, here to us to say this is how we should respond when we see the kind of authority that Jesus has. And He can say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk. And even more impressive, He can say your sins are forgiven and instantly, just like that, they are forgiven. That we should marvel at that. And in fact, be afraid in a sense of Jesus Christ who holds our eternal destiny in His hand and can do with us whatever He pleases. In awe of Him, fear before Him, trembling before Him. That's what we should feel before Him. And we should worship God 
that he has sent him. So Jesus, Jesus has authority to forgive sins. That's our first point. The second point is this. In verses 9 to 13, we see that Jesus came to call sinners. So we've seen Jesus has authority to forgive. But there's another question, which is equally important, right? Not, not only can he forgive sins, but is he willing? Is he willing to forgive sins? And not just an abstract question, but personally, is he willing to forgive my sins? Will he forgive me? Right, we're standing in awe of his awesome power that he has to forgive sins. Will he forgive me too? Is he willing? Now, our immediate reaction probably is, yes, of course he's willing. And that's a good response. Right? Look at how Jesus treats the paralytic. He doesn't wait for the man to say, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus just forgives him freely and graciously without even being asked. This is the whole purpose we said earlier in the sermon about for why Jesus came. This is what his kingdom is about. That he could forgive sinners. He is super willing, hyper willing to forgive sins. It is his delight to forgive sins. Early in Matthew's Gospel, we hear that Jesus is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's right in his name. He is a forgiving Savior. Yes, he is willing to forgive the worst sinner, the worst sinner who comes to him. And yet, interestingly, the passage here tells us that there are some whom Jesus will not forgive. The last line of the passage, verse 17, says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So there, there's a not. There are some whom Jesus did not come to call and did not come to forgive. Which is a frightening, frightening thought, isn't it? And that's what the second part of this passage here is about. The second, the second part of the, the text here, that Jesus, uh, um, if there are those he forgives, willingly and graciously and freely, but also those who don't receive his forgiveness. So, following this healing of the paralytic and he forgives the paralytic, Jesus goes out, he continues to teach, and he meets Matthew, the tax collector. People hated tax collectors then even more than they do now. Uh, Tax collectors were seen to be kind of cozying up to the Romans uh, by the Jews. Uh, They were not trusted. Uh, They were, you know, thought to often take a little bit more than they were supposed to, that they could pocket some of it themselves. Um, They're despised by the Jews. Um, Almost the equivalent of a Gentile. But Jesus calls this tax collector to himself. Matthew, tax collector, I want you to be one of my disciples. And then the verse goes on and tells us that he's having a meal, probably with Matthew, I think at Matthew's house. And he's surrounded by all these other tax collectors. And this other group who's just called sinners, right? These people who aren't, don't have the best reputation, right? These people who are known as, as, as sinners. And Jesus is, is taking his place with sinners. He's identifying with sinners. He's not condoning their sin. He always calls sinners to repentance and faith and new obedience. But he's taking his place with them and saying, these are the ones I came for. Right? And so he's showing us just how willing he is to call sinners and forgive sinners and have fellowship with sinners. 
Once again, there's an objection. This time it's the Pharisees, uh, some other religious experts. They hear about Jesus fellowshipping with sinners. And again, they're upset with him. Uh, Jesus, haven't you read Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Don't you know the Levitical laws of the Old Testament that if you have fellowship with something unclean, if you touch something unclean, you become unclean. Don't you know that that bad company corrupts good character? All these texts come to their minds. Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this. But these Pharisees here have two things wrong. First, they're failing to see. Jesus is unlike anyone else. He's not going to be corrupted by sin. He's not going to become infected by sin. He is not a mere man. He's God and man. And he has a divine holiness. And his divine holiness cannot be profane. When he touches the leper, he doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. When he has fellowship with a sinner, the sinner's forgiven. Sinners made holy. Jesus isn't, uh, isn't tainted by that sin. So they, they, the, the Pharisees think Jesus is just like everybody else. The second thing they have wrong, though, is that they fail to see that they themselves are like everybody else. They don't think they are like everybody else themselves. Jesus says in verse 17 to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's not saying there are righteous people in the world and sinful people in the world. The righteous people are fine. They can take care of themselves, and I'm here to help out the sinners. what What he is saying is, right? there are people who know they are sinners, and who come to me seeking forgiveness for their sins. And then there are people who are sinners, just as much sinners, but insist that they're not, and have no clue that they're not, and think they're righteous in themselves, like you, Pharisees. That you think you're healthy when you're sick. What more dangerous position is there to be in than to think you are righteous when you are a sinner? And Jesus says, you don't recognize me the Messiah who has come to deal with your biggest problem, which is your sin. You're stuck in sin, even though you think you are righteous. I didn't come to call those kinds of people, Jesus says. So let's return to the question we opened this second section of the sermon with. Is Jesus willing to forgive sins? We said yes and no. He's willing to forgive the sins of those who come to him, who are uh, sorry for their sins, who are grieving their sins, who are looking for forgiveness from him and looking for grace uh, to repent. But he will not forgive those who don't own their sin and come to him as a beggar looking for help with it. He will not forgive those who say, I'm all set. I'm self-right. I've got righteousness of my own. I don't need your forgiveness, Jesus. He will not forgive those ones. Is Jesus willing to forgive your sins? Yours. Your debt that you owe Him. Consider the characters in the passage. Think through this question with me. Is He willing to forgive my sins? Which character in the passage are you? Are you one of the scribes or Pharisees? Right? You don't think you're sick. You're healthy. You've got it together. You're not particularly sinful. Maybe average, but, but not as bad as others. 
You could attend church faithfully and lead a decent, upright, respectable life outwardly. What does Jesus say to people like that? He says to the Pharisees something so shocking here. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What a thing to say to a Pharisee, to a Bible expert. Go read your Bible again and try to understand what it means. Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In, In Hosea 6, God is calling out Israel for their unfaithful, fickle love for him. That one day they love him, one day they don't. They keep on doing the outward rites of religion, offering the sacrifices, but the mercy, the chesed, the steadfast love, the covenant love, loyalty to God, and, 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 and faithful obedience to his commands and relationship to others, that's not there. They've got the form of religion, but none of its power. Right? They're hollow. Their religion is hollow. There's no heart in it. Their righteousness is hollow. It's all sin inside. Even though they think it is not. And Jesus is saying, you're just like those Israelites in Hosea's day whose righteousness is a hollow outward thing based on religious forms and rituals that you do to make yourself feel good about yourself, but you are not forgiven of your sins. There's nothing more dangerous than this. Right? You don't want to be in this position where you think you are healthy spiritually when you are sick. You don't want to think you're righteous in yourself when really you are a sinner. Because Jesus didn't come for those who are so self-assured that they are all set. He came for sinners. He came for those who know they're sick. So are, are you one of the Pharisees or scribes? Don't be. Ask Him for forgiveness. Own your sin. Or are you the paralytic? Helpless on a stretcher on the ground, waiting to hear what Jesus is going to say. Knowing He's willing to heal you, yes, but to, yes, to forgive you of every sin. Are you a spiritual beggar, right? Poor in spirit is how Jesus begins His ministry in Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Aware that you have nothing before God, nothing to bring Him, right? That you deserve His wrath, that you're a sinner, that you are weak, you can't do it on your own, you can't be righteous on your own, and you are just waiting, waiting, and resting on Christ alone to forgive your sins. You know you can't move spiritually an inch at all. You're paralyzed spiritually unless Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven. That's a good place to be. To have him say that to you. He is willing to say that to you. Or maybe you're like Matthew, right? You know your sin. You know you're a sinner against God. You know you're a sinner against others. You are uh, aware of that. But Jesus has called you. And so you come to Him willingly and gladly and you receive forgiveness as well. If, 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 if that's where you are, that's who you are, uh, aware of your sin and acknowledging it and confessing it to Him, then yes. He has the power to say, you are forgiven. And He is willing, more than willing. He is eager and ready to forgive and quick to forgive every sin of those who come to Him. And He will look down at you with His awesome power and authority and grace and compassion and say, take heart, child. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. How can Jesus say that to us? Do you wonder that? You think, that's wonderful. 
to be a sinner, to know it, but to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. I love that. Right? That's precious to me, but look at my heart. It's still a mess of disordered loves. And my mind, right, my thoughts and my sinful choices, how can He forgive me? Does He just snap His fingers and my sins are arbitrarily deleted? Think about the question Jesus asked the scribes um, when He said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to the paralytic, get up and walk? We said it's easier in in earthly terms to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove it outwardly. But it was not an easy thing for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. He's not just, you know, control all, highlight all, and deleting your sin. Right? Just like you would, uh, you know, in a a Word doc. Right? No. What does it take for him to say to sinners, your sins are forgiven? It takes him coming down from heaven, being made like us in every respect, suffering for us, suffering the wrath of God for us, going to the cross for us. What did we say earlier? If you're going to forgive someone, you're the one to whom the debt is owed. And if someone says your debt is gone, what do they do? They absorb the cost themselves. So when Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, he's not just he's not just canceling the cost of that man's sins. He's saying, I take on myself the cost of your sin. The wrath of God, which should be on you, paralyzed man, I'll take it. I'll pay it. Gladly. Because I love you, and this is why I came. And that's what he says to you. I'll take it. I forgive you because I absorb the cost. I pay the price of every single last one of your sins. It is the hardest thing anyone has ever done to say your sins are forgiven. It's the hardest thing anyone has ever done for Jesus to say this to us. It's the greatest cost, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest love anyone has ever shown. But this is the kind of Savior He is. This is the kind of Savior He is. This is the kind of one who says, I forgive your sins. Loved ones, don't forget this. We always need this, right? We don't just need this as the Christian life starts. We need this as the Christian life goes on and on and on. J.C. Ryle says it well. He says that sinners we are in the day we first come to Christ. Poor, needy sinners we continue to be so long as we live drawing all the grace we have every hour out of Christ's fullness. Sinners, we shall find ourselves in the hour of our death and shall die as much indebted to Christ's blood as in the day we first believed. Sinners we are until he comes, until, until we die in him. So keep going back to him for his forgiving grace. Let's pray. Lord, let us not be those who think we are healthy when we are sick. Let us be those who own our sin, who who acknowledge it and confess it to you. And Lord, forgive us of every sin. Wash us clean in the blood.